All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are officially live. I am your host, Nathan Hulritz, here at the Boca Podcast, of course, CEO at Photographer's Edit as well. And uh, I welcome you today. If you are watching or listening live, please don't hesitate to comment, ask questions of our guest or myself. Send us funny emojis if you want to uh, on facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. We're streaming live there to our Facebook page. And we're also pushing out to YouTube. We'll be sharing that link here pretty soon as we build up a little bit of a following there. But currently, facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. And then for those of you who are listening to the audio after the fact, we do push out live episodes before we go to audio. So every week, about two episodes a week, we're live streaming those episodes at facebook.com slash book podcast. You can go back and watch the replay of those live streams and uh, check out the visuals associated with the conversation because that is a, a really fun component of the live streams. Take advantage of that. And then we usually push out the, the audio version about a week or so after. So I just wanted to let you know about that. One last note before we get started, as I always do, I want to encourage you, remind you to look for opportunities to give back. I donated to charitywater.org today before our episode, just like I told you I would before every episode. And it's amazing how just a little bit of money can go a long ways. Look for opportunities like that, whether it's in your local community or with a national or international organization like Charity Water. Uh, And that is charitywater.org in case you are curious. All right. I um, am really glad to introduce, and and I have to, I'm just going to go ahead and add this caveat, Ashley, as as we're logging on here. I'm going to introduce, first of all, Ashley Freehan is here with me. Thank you so much for doing the show with me. And I, I already told you this before we got started. I feel bad that we kind of rushed into conversation. We were dealing with some technical stuff before we got started. I'm glad that we made it work. Um, but I get to actually uh, take a deep breath and say hello to you now. So how are you? <laughs> hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much. <laughs> well, and thank you for doing this interview. And we're actually talking about a super, super relevant topic for so many photographers, whether they're getting started or maybe they've even been shooting for a little while, we're going to be talking about that jump from part-timer to full-timer, part-timer to CEO. And uh, we're going to get your insight, your experience, your wisdom on the topic in a little bit. But first things first, I want to introduce your brand. I'm going to actually share my my browser, my screen here. And uh, first of all, well, a couple of different brands, ashleyfreehand.com, your photography website. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Your Instagram account, Ashley Freehand Photography. And of course, we'll link to all these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And then also your community and education platform, the purposegathering.com. And of course, the purpose gathering on Instagram. Lots of different brands to cover here, Ashley. I, how, how do you juggle it all? I mean, this is something that's kind of um, interesting to consider when you've got life all the different components of your personal life and then also businesses to run. I'm going to actually jump ahead to this question. Is there something that you're doing to balance these different brands and your personal life, a big idea that drives that? Yeah. So that's a great question, Nathan. And thank you so much for having me on the show and here live today. This is so fun. Um, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for what I wanted to talk about. And I honestly would not recommend having so many different businesses And I didn't even mention this to you, but I also have a photo booth business that I'm trying to sell 
because okay. I'm really coming to this realization that if you want to do something well, you really have to focus on yeah. one thing. Yeah. And so actually, I'm going to be kind of dissolving AshleyFreehand.com and I've wrapped it up into the purpose gathering because I need to simplify and focus on doing one thing. So even though there's multiple parts to the purpose gathering, I'm going to be focusing more so now on my coaching okay. and then doing brand photography on the side sort of. And yep. so I'm kind of switching what is taking precedent. Mm. But I honestly feel like staying focused and choosing one thing that you actually go all in on is so important. And then if you have a supporting supplemental business, then, you know, just know that one's not going to grow as fast as you want it to. <laughs> you know, this is, I'm so glad that you bring this up because I can very much relate personally right now. We have Photographer's Edit is, of course, our central brand. The Boca podcast is an offshoot of Photographer's Edit. But we have one, two, three, at least three other companies that we're either in the process of launching or relaunching. And it is a lot. Um, fortunately, yep. I have a wonderful team that works with me, and we're actually in the process of growing that team, promoting, uh, hopefully from inside as well. And so I'm excited about the possibilities because I actually have a team to leverage that I can more effectively kind of guide and lead and delegate to work with ultimately to build these various brands because I'm very much feeling the pain that you're talking about. <laughs> Trying to do so many different things myself, it, it's just been too much. And mentally, I'm not free to perform for the individual brands at the level that I should be because I'm juggling so many different things from various brands, right? So I, exactly. I, would, I would very much agree. I know that some people claim to be multitaskers and, and maybe even demonstrate that pretty well. But I think for the average person, if we're really honest with ourselves, most people, I would say, probably will perform the best when they are truly focused. And so I think we should look for opportunities to do that. It's a really great recommendation. Yeah. And I would agree with you. I used to pride myself in being a multitasker yeah. <laughs> until I realized that what I really was doing was starting a bunch of stuff and never finishing it and mm. never doing it well. Mm -hmm. And so I don't do that anymore. I really try to stay focused on the task at hand mm -hmm. and do that well and then move on to the next task. Yes. And, and again, I feel you on that. In fact, you know, what? it's funny. So my, my girlfriend, Jill, now does or handles our digital marketing for the various brands, produces the podcast. She's probably even listening in right now. And, <laughs> and I actually, a number of years ago, I actually asked her, I said, what's, what's something that I can do? Or what would you say from your perspective I could do to improve as an individual? I like getting this kind of constructive criticism. And one of the things that she said to me, she's like, you know what, you, you start a lot, but you don't necessarily follow through on that. And she basically encouraged me to do a better job of following through. And the point was taken. Even this many years later, I'm very cognizant of that idea because I see a lot of opportunities. And so I want to start these things. But I have to also remember, I, I just simply can't do it all. And I don't know where this, this obsession almost that our culture has with priding ourselves with the notion of multitasking. In fact, I'm curious to get your take on that. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I know for me personally, it comes from my mom and like just, you know, in outside influence and watching other people that you love and grow up with feel like they just have to do everything. And mm. so that's kind of my take was like, oh, I guess, you know, if 
if I want to be successful in life, that means I must be doing more and more and piling my plate fuller and fuller. And that's also, I think, society and media in general always shows that when you're doing more, that you're more successful. And that's, in my opinion, is just not true. And my experience has just led to more overwhelm and anxiety and frustration. Mm. And nobody wants that. Well, I think too, a lot of, because so many brands and businesses and business owners, CEOs are kind of front and center these days on social media, yep. a lot of people see those, see their accomplishments and somehow assume that they're doing it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they assume that these people are doing it on their own. They forget about the gazillion people behind the scenes that are actually getting a lot of that work done for this individual. They have a team. Right. I, I, it takes me back actually to, um, I, I was listening to a podcast. Joe Rogan's a very popular podcast host. And he has kind of um, mixed opinions as far as the, the uh, listenership out there, what they think of him. But one of the things that he did was bring on um, Elon Musk from, uh, of course, the, his, his various rocket ventures and Tesla, the electric cars and, tunnels with trains. I mean, there's all the different things that he's doing. And so when, when Joe had him on the podcast, he said, how, how in the world do you get all that you do done? Like, I, I just don't understand how there, you know, there's enough hours in the day somehow in that conversation. And I think they've actually had the conversation twice because he's had him on the podcast a couple of times, somehow in those conversations, it never came up that he's got this massive team of at this point, probably thousands of people that are behind oh him, enabling gosh. him to do this thing which is unfortunate really for those people because they, they really deserve this, the spotlight. Elon comes up with these ideas, but he doesn't get these ideas accomplished without the team that is helping him, that's working alongside him and for him. And um, so we ha I think we just need to maintain a certain amount of perspective as we see these people that we look up to, and you know, even people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who is accomplishing so much. It's really cool. He's got this awesome work ethic, but at the end of the day, he can't get any of that stuff done the way that he does without this massive team behind him. That's what enables us. And if we are going to be sole proprietors, we need to focus. So um, exactly. I know that was a long conversation on one particular topic, but I, I love that you highlight the importance of that. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me kind of bring us back to the question that I normally ask, and I want to highlight the purpose gathering. Let's talk about brand position. And uh, I, I'd love for you to share... You know, when, when we talk about coaching and education in the photography industry, frankly, there's a lot of it. And just like there are a lot of photographers in wedding photography and in portrait photography. So it, it behooves, to borrow an old school word, it behooves the entrepreneur who is starting a business that is in a crowded space to create a distinct brand position. What makes them different from the other people doing the same thing or offering a similar service? I'm curious in that regard what your brand position is at the Purpose Gathering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an incredible question. So my brand position is a little bit different than most that I specifically cater to and serve moms who own a photography business. Because although we share a lot of similar, you know, struggles and mindset blocks as female entrepreneurs, I feel like there's a whole nother set of issues that we deal with as being a mom, mm. as being a wife. And so I just felt like there was nothing out there that really spoke to the struggles that mom photographers specifically face. And so okay. that's my biggest distinction is that I not only talk about business coaching and how to grow and, you know, position yourself as a photographer to create a sustainable and profitable business, but I also 
talk to you about the motherhood aspect and how it's so important that you parent your children well, that you kind of serve this deeper purpose at home, because I truly believe that when you thrive at home, you thrive in your business. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah, that's a whole loaded topic in and of itself. Maybe we could do an episode two at some point and get into some of that. I would love that. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I have to... I have to kind of push back on your answer here because your your answer is very detailed and it's wonderful. But the reason I push back is actually for a very good reason. If I jump to your site, you've got such a concise brand position statement here, which frankly is unusual in the photography industry. It's front and center, above the fold, big text, easy to find. The moment somebody lands on your website, they see it immediately. Business coaching and brand photography for mom togs. I mean, that took me like two seconds to say it sums it up beautifully. And then you have that that subtext explaining further, helping mom photographers stand out and succeed through strategic business coaching and authentic brand images. Let me ask you about the word authentic, because that's a word that's used quite a bit in our industry these days. What do you mean specifically by that? So I think so often that people just show maybe, you know, their work as a photographer and they show the beautiful images and they might tell a story here and there about, you know, their client. But I feel like what's really missing on a lot of photographers pages is themselves. And so that's what I mean by authentic is you can't really showcase that brand position without showing the person behind the brand. Mm. And I feel like that's so important because as photographers, the only, well, not the only, but one of the biggest ways that we can set ourselves apart in a sea of people who also take great photos is ourselves, right? I can look at 10 photographers that take beautiful images, but I'm going to hire the one that I connect with the most. And how do I know if I connect with them if I never see them and I never hear from them? So that's what I value is showing the authentic person behind the business, Mm. showing what you love outside of your business and who you are outside of a photographer, right? Yeah. Okay. So this, this begs another question because we, we actually talk quite a bit on the podcast about how a lot of photographers on their websites talk so much about themselves to, I think, a detriment for a couple of reasons. One, it seems like a lot of photographers are missing the point that this is actually about serving the client, number one. Exactly. Two, the, the potential clients that are coming to their site only have so much of an attention span. So the reality is paragraphs of information about the photographer and their life and watching Netflix and going to coffee shops and doing all these things is only so relevant and only so helpful at the end of the day. The photographers or the client is there, potential client is there to learn what this service, how the service is going to better their lives in whatever context right. they may be facing, right? Weddings, uh, maybe they need a portrait session or a family events coming up, whatever it might be. But they want to know how this photographer is going to make their life better, how they're going to serve them. So that being said, where do you think the balance is between talking so much about ourselves? And, and by the way, I, I'm a huge fan of relationships, so I don't want to minimize the mm-hmm. significance of that, right? But yeah. I also know that people are, that the photographers talk a lot about relationships and kind of miss the point, which is to explain to the client or the potential client how they're going to make their lives better. Where's the balance between these two things where we're not talking too much about ourselves, but also sharing a bit so that there's an opportunity to connect? 
Yeah. And I think that's the biggest point there is the connection piece and giving uh, people another reason to stick around, right? Because the reality is people don't need a photographer every day, right? They need a photographer for specific events, but of course they know people who need a photographer. Mm. And so what we want to do is we want to stay relevant. And so right now I'm speaking to being on social media, right? So I think website is a little bit different, um, but I'll speak to the social media piece right now and how I feel like it's so important that we continue to stay relevant, but we also continue to stay connected. And so I want to be able to share things on my social media page that people can connect with me right now. So if I only talk about my beautiful clients all the time, people are going to get bored. And that's just the reality of it, right? Because they're like, I'm not getting married right now. Like, cool, I'll see some pictures. But It's overflow on Instagram and Mm. Facebook of beautiful photos. And Mm. so it's like, how can we stand out? And again, it's showing that connection piece that here's something. So for me, it's motherhood. Like I can really speak to those people who are moms that might not be a photographer and they might not need a photographer, right? But I can connect with them on that level. So I'm going to share some parenting tips and some parenting hacks and be able to show that side of who I am. So that way, when they are looking for a photographer or they know somebody that needs one, they're going to remember me because we have that connection point. So I don't just talk about myself all the time, but I talk about things that my ideal clients or their friends or family members can relate to on a personal level. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So I guess it makes more sense. And I'm glad that you specified the difference between the context of social media, where the conversation is actually quite, quite a bit different. You're right. Nobody wants the same. In fact, again, Jill and I've had similar conversations, even as of late. Um, It it was our our business, various brand feeds, social media feeds had become a bit monotonous. And that was kind of the same thing posted over and over and over again. And it used to be there was this argument uh, for almost a uniformity. And, and the look, mm-hmm. the style, the feel, the colors, et cetera. And some photographers still, I think, do that really, really well. But there is something to be said to variety and kind of breaking up the monotony and bringing them something different. And certainly the personal element can, can lend itself to that. I guess what I'm really talking about more is, is the website. Because websites, yep. again, that potential client only has so much time to gather enough information to help them decide whether or not this particular photography brand is a good fit for them. And yeah. it does start with the service. It, yeah, the connection is super important. And again, I, I mean, this was a massive part of my business. So I'm not minimizing this. As a photographer, mm-hmm. it was super important to develop relationships with our clients. And we had wonderful relationships with our clients uh, to a very, very personal level. But I just wonder if there's a bit of a balance to be had. If, if, if we're going to assume that a potential client has, say, 20 seconds at, at max, maybe 30 seconds for that initial impression, should we really give multiple paragraphs to all this stuff about us and a picture, you know, header image of, of us drinking coffee and smiling and throwing our heads back laughing? Like it's right. become, frankly, very cliche and, and almost laughable at this point how much that's going on. Or do we focus on a very clear message as you so beautifully do on your website? Somebody lands on your site, they immediately know what you offer and why what you offer is different than other coaches. And they can, they can make that split second decision. Do I stay here because this is relevant to me? We're not. It seems like there needs to be more of an emphasis there. And I, so that's why I say specifically the website versus social media. What are your thoughts specifically on the website? Yeah. And it's, it's great that you bring that up because I've actually been in the wedding photography space for over 10 years. And I honestly, when I started the purpose gathering back in 2019, I 
had to learn business in a whole new way because mm. I, you know, I really didn't know much about photography. And so I just kind of learned as I went, which I think a lot of people do. And I invested in, you know, some coaching, but not as much as I should have. And so 10 years down the road, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, like I have been doing business all wrong because I got into the online business space. Mm. I learned, you know, I read the book story brand from Donald Miller and everything just changed for me. Like everything that I learned over the past two years of online marketing has really changed a lot. And that's what I think also gives me an edge is that now I can go out and help those photographers with this information that you're talking about. So Let's talk about website. I 100% agree with you that it should not be about you the first second that they see on the page. But this is kind of a new idea for photographers, I feel like. But the online business space has been doing this so well for so long. Mm. But I think people need to hear about you, right? They want to know if they connect with you, but that's not till a lot later on the website. So it should be very clear when they come to your page, how are you going to stand out? How are you different? And it can't be like, oh, you know, I love taking beautiful photos because everyone loves taking beautiful photos or we wouldn't be photographers, right? My, my favorite one you is have to stand I, love, out. I love to photograph couples in love, which, which <laughs> oh is just kind gosh. of like, not only is it cliche because so many people are saying it, but also <laughs> it's stating the obvious, right? It, right. Doesn't, it doesn't tell that potential client how it adds value. So you're right. Let's right. let's set aside the obvious statements and the cute statements that may make a little sense to us as photographers, but don't really actually add that much value to the potential client. And let's tell them right. what service we offer, to what market, and how it's different than the other photographers in this context in that market. It seems like it's pretty straightforward. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the significance of the photographer and the relationship. They could literally right. scroll past that fold and, and here's a quick you know, beautiful image, environmental headshot or whatever it might be with a quick blurb about you as the photographer. And then if you want to have a whole separate about section, wonderful. But it, it, I, I think just a balance is to be had there. And I know that the takes, the, the opinions, the preferences are going to be different from person to person, but I had to at least bring it up uh, in the context yeah. of our conversation. And I do appreciate your, your insight there, but I want to keep going too. Of course. We're talking about customer experience as it relates to communicating value, but is there another big idea that drives the customer experience that you've maybe given to your clients as a photographer in the past, maybe are giving now to photographers that you're coaching? Yes. So I think a huge piece in the customer experience that I think a lot of photographers struggle with, if I'm going to be honest, because I've heard from clients that have come to me from other photographers saying, oh my gosh, this was a nightmare experience. And that was client communication. Mm. Like people just not getting back to their clients, people not, you know, knowing the next step and the clients having to ask. And I just feel like it's such a detriment to your client to not be one step ahead, yeah. to not be, in, you know, educating them on the regular of yeah. even just a check-in. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people say before, you know, I had a wedding photographer, I hired her a year ago and I've never heard from her. And I'm like, are you serious? Like 
just because you book a client doesn't mean that you're done now. It's a continual journey with the client. You want to stay in connection with them. Um, One of my brand positions as a photographer when I was doing weddings is I take the time to truly get to know who you are. I'm going to call out those fake smiles because I will have gotten to know them. And I would meet my clients in advance. We do a face-to-face meeting before COVID, you know, but now I think things are getting better, but I wanted to meet them. I wanted to see them. I wanted to hear their voice. I wanted to get to know them. And then the engagement session, it wasn't optional. It was always included whether they needed it or not, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to get to know how they photographed in front of the camera before their wedding. Mm -hmm. And that's something that was just very different that I've heard a lot of photographers don't do. So I want to go back to the, again, there are multiple directions we could go here, and I know you've got a lot to bring. I want to go back specifically to the point that you made about expectations. Another yep. topic that, that we've been, I've been harping on a little bit on the podcast, largely because I feel like I need to continue to do a better job in my company, but I think it's also important for the sake of photographers listening. Something that I heard, and I wish I could remember where, the source, but I, there was this, this blurb that I heard the other day, which is that the clients get frustrated or upset when they are one of two things, they're lied to or they are confused. Now, hopefully Mm -hmm. most of us aren't lying to our clients. I'm not really too concerned about that, but the confusion piece is interesting. And if you have even somebody who's not even booked you yet, who comes to their site and can't figure out what it is that you even offer, there's all this information, all this text that just goes on and on and on about all kinds of different things, except really the point, which is to communicate to the client what it is that you offer them. Um, or maybe they're looking through the pricing information. There's just all kinds of text and they're trying to sort through it and trying to figure out what it means. And of course the list, the potential list goes on, but confusion up front certainly is going to turn people off. And then if they go ahead and book you, you're lucky enough for them to book you, then try to figure out what to do next, especially with something as intricate and nuanced as wedding photography. If you leave them hanging in some way, it's going to really kill the experience for them. So I love, I like what you point out, which is to be proactive in communication, not reactive, but actually making the attempt to come out ahead of that, that client's questions, potential questions, and giving them the information that they need so they know what to expect. You're managing their expectations proactively. I think that's so important. And I think what's really interesting, too, is as, as photographers, we get questions all the time. And it's so important that you take note of those questions and add those to your website somewhere so that you don't have to continue that back and forth. I think a lot of photographers think, oh, well, they have questions. That's just normal. And I'm like, well, actually, we want them to come to us and just say, I'm ready to book. Mm. We don't want them to have to have questions. We want them to say, or maybe they're ready to book a call and they're like, hey, I just want more info. I want to chat through my session or my wedding. But they should come to us ready for the next step. They shouldn't come to us saying, I need clarification. Do you even offer senior sessions? You know, what is your session starting price? Like all of that, I feel like should be on our website. Mm -hmm. And as we get those questions, that's perfect feedback for us to update that information. That's, that's so good. We, we do this proactively with photographers edit. So we have a, we do a weekly team meeting, uh, usually once a week on Thursdays where, because we're working remotely. So we collectively jump on zoom and, and chat. And one of the things that we talk about is opportunities for improvement on the website experience. So somebody comes to their web, to our website, if they ask a question as a potential client, 
uh, and we get a number of those same questions. And naturally, there is something that is causing a little bit of confusion or leaving them hanging as far as information, necessary information is concerned. And so we need to make a change to the website, to the user experience, the flow, the information there, or some combination of the above. And the same thing goes with existing clients as well. If we get repeat questions about a particular thing, it highlights an issue that needs to be addressed in the user experience. And that's important to do that. It's, I don't hear photographers actively talking about this as a practice where they're regularly reviewing and looking for opportunities to improve the experience through the management of expectations. And I love that you highlight this. Is there, can you give one or two examples of how you did this in your photography business? Yes. So I got a lot of questions always about, well, do we get a discount if we choose not to have the, the engagement session? Ah. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to really emphasize why the engagement session is important. Mm. So I don't even put a monetary value on it because to me it's invaluable. Mm. I want that experience with the client before the day of their wedding. And I, and I give them examples of why. I said, you know, if you're shy in front of the camera, this will give us a chance to get to know each other. I'm also going to teach you my really simple, easy posing. So when I say, you know, go hip to hip, cheek to cheek and put your hand on your hip, like, you know, exactly what pose I'm looking for. Right. <laughs> and so I feel like after I explained that it, mm. they just understood and they were like, okay, that sounds so fun. Like, yeah. thank you. Sure. And Another tip too, and this is just something random, but I always ask for a couple or, you know, a family session. When I'm doing family sessions, I ask them to send me one of their favorite photos together. That way I can see, like, do they have a, you know, a closed mouth smile, you uh, know, or a closed teeth smile? Yeah. Do, do they have like a cute little smirk that they make? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that they love about that picture? Yep. And I ask them to describe it to me. So that way, when I go to photograph them, I have an idea in my head of what they like to look like. I like and I that think a that's lot. so important. That's so good. Yeah, that I actually I don't think I've actually heard that specific suggestion previously. I've been in the industry for a long time. That's a really great idea. And and then there's also of course the opportunity then to if if you have that as a baseline then to give some maybe give them something new that they might like even more, but starting right. where they're comfortable. I think it's really important exactly. especially with couples. I I had at least one or two instances where I worked with couples who were not comfortable with PDA. And mm -hmm. of course this engagement photography, wedding photography, usually centers around PDA. So right. had I known that going into the session, I could at least plan for it more effectively. Instead, I ended up with this couple who were, looked like junior hires at their first dance, like <laughs> super stiff. Like it was so, it was painful. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, had I known ahead of time, had I had them give me a picture of them together, maybe I would have had a better idea. That's a really great suggestion. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I want to keep going because we have a lot to cover, but I have to ask you a totally yeah. random question right now. You okay. mentioned before we started that you are using a webcam for our conversation yep. today. The reason that yep. I bring this up is because I've been, it's kind of surprising at this point, honestly, the number of photographers that I've had on, they're just using, you know, whatever built-in webcam on their laptop. In this day and age, when more than ever, certainly in the last year, we are on Zoom calls or Skype calls or otherwise, FaceTime calls, having a decent camera that actually renders us halfway decently rather than this like super pixelated fuzzy looking thing that I've, I see yeah. a decent amount. I think it's really important. Obviously good light always makes a massive difference, but do you mind sharing the model of webcam that you're using? If you happen to know it? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's a Logitech. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the actual, like it was on Amazon, you know, probably like the first one. Okay. It's a 10, 1080p HD webcam and okay. I use it constantly. Cause I'm yeah. like, 
I'm a photographer, right? I always blame it on that. I'm like, I'm a photographer and I have to have good image quality regardless. I don't care where I am. I will change up everything to have good lighting, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, I just have to. (laughs) No, it's so important. But I'm just, yeah, you're right. We're photographers. The visual presentation is part of what we should be focused on. And yet I, I think a lot of photographers don't think about it when it comes to the actual meeting piece of it. Uh, so that's right. good. Maybe maybe we can get the exact model from you after the fact, and we'll put yes, it in the I show notes uh, okay, at bocapodcast.com. Cool. Just as a little bonus tip for everybody listening yeah. in or watching, I think that's really great. Because the picture is sure. really great, and even has a slight bit of bokeh behind you, too, which is really impressive yeah. for a little webcam. It is. I cool. know. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to keep going. Talk to me about... I want to come back to time management. We talked about time management a little bit earlier, but of course, one of the most important components of time management is delegation. This is especially true if you're trying to do a variety of things. But is this a concept that you've experimented with in your business? Have you found some success with it? I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Oh, 100%. So one of the foundations of what I teach is about time management because I struggled so much as a new mom and then even as a mom of kids now that are 7 and 10. Like I just would blame the fact that my business wasn't growing as fast because I didn't have time because my kids sucked all of my energy and, you know, time was just this elusive thing that I could never find. And it wasn't until I realized that Obviously, we all have the same amount of time. I just wasn't making time and I wasn't managing my time wisely. So I teach this to a lot of my coaching clients is this fact that you have to tell your time where you want it to go, just like a budget. You have to tell each dollar where you want it to go or all of a sudden at the end of the week, you're like, where did all that time actually go? (laughs) Right. So, So I teach time blocking as a method that I think is so hard for some people to grasp, but it's so simple. And it's basically this idea of just finding or not even finding, but creating the time space, like saying, when am I going to work? When am I going to do personal tasks? Mm -hmm. Kind of creating and establishing those time blocks, creating a master list of what you need to accomplish, prioritizing that list, and then putting that list into those time blocks based on what needs to get done first. And um, I did a whole masterclass on this. If you want to share it with um, your listeners and viewers, I would yeah. love it. Okay. It's and it's a super simple method, but I think it's so helpful because now you know what time you have and what you're going to do during that time. Mm. And I've noticed when I don't do that and I don't set aside my Sunday planning day, which is the day that I plan the week ahead, and I don't plug in those time blocks and I don't actually assign the tasks, then I do waste a lot of time. And I do find myself wondering, how did I get nothing done? But yet I felt so busy. (laughs) Well, the reality is we have so much to juggle. So it's easy to be busy. Uh, it's also easy to be distracted on top of that, right? So exactly. it's no surprise that, that, and certainly I'm guilty of this too, that we get distracted or we're not focused and so we don't get nearly as much done as we could. The intentionality behind planning is, it, I'm continuing to realize myself as one who in many cases kind of likes to go with the flow uh, is yeah. it's super important. I mean, I'm, I'm actually already a pretty structured guy, but it's I'm realizing even more the significance of adding just a little bit more to that. And I think a lot of the pushback in this topic from photographers who in many cases kind of artist types, you know, they want to kind of free form, live their life and, and run their business without extreme amounts of structure or pressure. 
the the misnomer, the misunderstanding about the this idea of intentionally time blocking or intentionally planning and managing your time is that, oh, I'm I'm going to be micromanaged. I I started a business so that I could have the freedom and I can do my own thing. And that's very true, but I think what's missed is that if you are intentional with your time, it actually gives you even more freedom because not only will you be able to create the space for yourself for that flexibility to do whatever it is that you want to do, but then in that space, you also will have mental freedom because you know you got the stuff done while you were intentionally working as well. So it's best of both worlds. I 100% agree. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> have said it better, Nate. Well, we'll make sure to link to that course. Um, it, is that on the Purpose Gathering site as well, or is it a separate yes, site? Yes, okay. it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. We'll find that on there and link to that in the show notes as well. Last question Perfect. before we get to the main topic at hand. Talk to me about, you actually mentioned building a story brand earlier, and that's, that's a, we're a huge fan of that book here on this podcast. But tell me yep. another business book or self-help book that has made a big impact in your life in the last few years. So I am the biggest nonfiction junkie. Like I can't remember the last time I read a fiction book. Um, It's been years, like probably 10 years, but I (laughs) love self-development books and maybe it's the teacher in me and just the learner in me. Um, And I was going to mention this. I'll mention it just because for those listening who maybe haven't read it, I know you've all heard of it, Atomic Habits. Um, it's, that was an incredible book. It changed everything for me personally and professionally, but I want to share a book that you maybe haven't heard of because I know that a lot of people have heard it and probably already read it. Um, but there's this book out there called hands-free life by Rachel Macy Stafford. And that book has really changed everything for me. She also has a book called hands-free mama. And she is just, she's part of this you know, movement and revolution of loving now and living now and living in the present and really focusing on who's around you and relationships versus anything else, right? She's very relationally based, spending time with your kids, your family, the people that you love most, because we never know when those moments will be cut short. And so I just wanted to throw that out there because I doubt Many of you have heard of that. <laughs> well, it's, it's good. I actually have it pulled up on screen. For anybody who's watching, of course, you can see this. For those of you listening to the audio, we'll certainly make sure to link to the book in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. But the, the title is Hands-Free Life, Nine Habits for Overcoming Distraction, Living Better and Loving More by Rachel Macy Stafford. Uh, that, that sounds really good, too. I, I don't know. Is that geared specifically toward women or just kind of general principles? I feel like it is a little bit more geared towards women, but I feel like anybody could benefit from it, from the principles. um, And, you know, it's definitely a female perspective, but I think think all the principles apply for everyone. It sounds like it'd be really good. Okay, cool. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. By the way, for everybody listening in, bocapodcast.com for the show notes from the most recent episodes. You can just click on the individual episode and see those. We also have another resource at bocabookshelf.com, which is a collection of the most popular books that have been brought up here on the podcast. So uh, make sure to go check that out. Take advantage of it. If you're getting ready to go on vacation like I am, for example, one of the things I look forward to on vacation now is to be able to read, like to actually have the freedom to be able to read for a bit. Just sit on the beach, water out there, a little bit of sun, maybe a drink, and just go to town with a book. So um, if you're like that, go take advantage of that resource. All right. I want to keep going, Ashley, because we're going to dig into a really big topic. And I'm sure, again, this could be a multi-episode topic. But let's talk a little bit about that move from part-time, we'll call it mom photographer, but just a part-timer photographer 
to going full-time and becoming that CEO that I think a lot of people aspire to be. Let's talk first about your background and I guess the backstory. You actually moved from education into photography. Talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started back in 2008 when I got married. And um, I got married in January of 2008. And then I graduated college that December of 2008. And so it was kind of during that time when we were getting married and we were doing the engagement photos and we did the wedding photos and then we did the session after the photos, the dirty session, right? Where you get your dress all dirty and you go <laughs> and you get the portrait session. I feel like that was like short lived. They don't, I don't feel like it's, people do that anymore. It was so a trend. Funny. It was a trend. It's so funny you bring yeah. that up because I haven't thought about it in a little while. I haven't seen him for a little while. It lasted for a couple of years or so. Yeah. For right. those of you listening in or watching who aren't familiar, Basically, it was a, they, they call them trash the dress sessions, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And exactly. like, what, what, where did you do yours? Was that out in the mud, like crazy wild? <laughs> well, so it, he, it wasn't really the trash okay. the dress session, but okay. he called it a dirty session where you like, you just go and you do another portrait session and you don't mm. mind if your dress gets dirty. Okay. Although he did have me get in a fountain in the middle of January. Oh. It was freezing. I mean, I live in Arizona, so it wasn't that cold, but it was still cold. Freezing like I, 70 degrees. <laughs> exactly. It was probably like 60, okay? okay but okay. <laughs> getting in the cold water in my dress, there's pretty epic photos, right, of me splashing around. But I just remember thinking the way he posed me, the fact that he didn't encourage me to get my hair and makeup done, I looked like a wet dog. I'm not kidding. My hair was a mess. Like my, he had me do this like soft, like sultry smile that is just not me. And I was just like, this is a real job. I'm like, I could do this and I yeah. could do it so much better. Yeah. And so that kind of like sparked this interest. I was, I've always been interested in photography. I took photography in high school. My grandfather was a wedding photographer, so it's in the blood. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. So I started just super hobbyist. I graduated college, right? Had my degree in elementary education, um, was still kind of shooting random, you know, whatever anybody would let me shoot for free at that point. And I started, um, or I graduated in the middle of the year. So all the teaching contracts were already filled. And I had just spent six months without a paycheck because I was student teaching and financially we couldn't afford it. Mm. So I'm like, okay, what can I do that I know I can get hired for really quickly? So I became a nanny, which I had done previously. I was a nanny for six different families. And so I found this nanny position and I very specifically told them, you know, I'm only going to be here with you momentarily, like a couple months, because as soon as I find a teaching position, I'm out of here kind of thing. And they were like, okay, totally fine. We get it. Well, I ended up staying with them for four and a half years. And it was... It was through that time with them that I developed this love for photography. I continued to shoot. They had, of course, little kids, so they were the perfect models. So I shot them, and then they even let me bring my daughter when I had her. And so it was just this beautiful, I feel like, um, way of me getting into photography that was low pressure, right? Because I still had this nanny job Mm -hmm. that was steady. And then I did my photography business on the side and then just sort of grew that while I was there. So at at what point did you move away from that nanny and focus more on photography or did that transition happen? 
Yeah. So it, the, the big turning point, I think for me was the fact that I had my second child on the way. Um, and I was just, you know, with nap time and stuff like that, it was just really hard for me to live the life I wanted to, because I was always on their schedule. And so it was at that point when I just decided like, Hey, I'm going to step away and do photography only. And so, you know, I was, I feel like I had a bit of an advantage because my husband, of course, was working and he was able to support a lot of our bills. And Mm. so it it wasn't the traditional like, you know, I'm going to take, you know, this huge leap of faith. We, we, you know, need my income. And so my income was always just sort of like the extra income. And so it was easy for me at that point to be able to say, okay, you know, I think I'm going to stay home and just focus on photography and take that, you know, to the next level. That makes sense. Okay, so I want to kind of set the the stage too for our listeners because we are going to be talking about how to make this move intentionally from part-time to to full-time. But at the root of that, I think at least for some photographers is a certain apprehension of I've got all these things going on in my life right now personally. Now I added Mm -hmm. shooting to that. I'm a photographer part-time on weekends or the occasional evening, whatever it might be. And I'm trying to juggle all of this. And right now it already feels a bit chaotic. It feels like a little too much. Like the, the idea of going full-time and continuing to juggle all this is just an overwhelming thought to me. I don't even know how to make that move. And I, I'm curious if you began to... And in fact, you told me ahead of time that, that you began to kind of experience those, those feelings. What, what do you think was at the root of those feelings, that sense of overwhelm? So I think the big sense of overwhelm for me was the fact that I was trying to do too much and my expectations of everybody and everything, including myself, were just too high. Mm. You know, like I was looking at everybody else around me that didn't have a family, um, maybe weren't even married, and I was comparing my business to their business. And I was like, well, I'm such a failure. Like, look at this person. Their business is flourishing and they get to do all this fun stuff. And it sort of became... After a while, I went from, you know, overwhelm and frustration to victim mentality, where it was more so like, well, I'm a mom and this is just how life is going to be. Like my business is just going to grow slower. Um, It's my kid's fault, you know, kind of thing where I didn't really take ownership to the fact that Mm. it was possible. And now like hindsight which is why I created this group group coaching program, like hindsight. I so wish there was someone that would have come alongside me and been like, hey, you might be a mom, right? And you might be a business owner, but there's no reason why you can't do them both and do them well. And so I just felt like for so long that I had to choose, like, am I going to be a good mom? Am I going to stay home with my kids? Or am I going to be a good business owner? And Mm. I felt like, Every time one was succeeding, the other one was crashing and burning. And so I just felt like I couldn't do anything right. Every decision Mm. that I made was affecting someone else. And the key, what I finally figured out and realized when I found myself like crying in the closet over and over and over again, and I just was screaming like, who is going to take care of me? And I came to this realization where I was like, if I don't start prioritizing my self-care, Mm. nobody's going to do it. Mm. And that was the turning point for me. That was the biggest change from that victim, overwhelmed, anxious, you mm. know, feeling mm-hmm. is saying, okay, 
someone needs to take care of me and it has to be me because nobody else can take care of me the way I need to be taken care of. I have to advocate for that and I have to be the one who decides what do I need and how do I get it? Because I couldn't serve my clients. I couldn't serve my children. I couldn't serve my husband because I was so tired and broken and exhausted and I had nothing to give. Wow. Okay, I want to take a step back just a little bit to understand a little bit more too. And, and actually, I'm curious to get your take. When you talk about the, the sense of overwhelm and being in this place where you kind of feel, I mean, you're overwhelmed, but you also kind of feel stuck. And, and yeah. to your credit, you moved beyond that. But I think a lot of people assume that the life that they are currently in is the life that mm-hmm. they just kind of have to live. Where do you think that yeah. assumption comes from, why don't Mm -hmm. more people naturally think about how they can get out of that thing or how they can make change and shift out of where they're at? Why is the assumption that they have to be where they are? You know, I think that's such a great question. And I've struggled with that before, too. And I think a lot of it just comes down to we don't nobody has given us permission that we don't have to stay there. Right. Or even if we've had that permission before, it's easier to stay stuck than it is to deal with a lot mm. of the ugly stuff that you need that to comes deal with. with change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that uncomfort of change. I think that's, that's something that, um, a lot of people aren't willing to either take the step toward. Yeah. Maybe they're not used to it. I, I, I've, I've, a personal problem really. I, I'll, I'll be super transparent uh, here on the Boca podcast, which is, I've faced a lot of chaotic situations in my life to the extent that now they feel normal and I'm almost mm-hmm. drawn to them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I kind of search out chaotic situations. That's not the norm though. That I don't think anyway, that's not, it's not natural. Um, and certainly not necessarily even a healthy thing to do in most cases, but yeah. I, I just am curious because I hear so many, all you have to do is scroll through Facebook, right? And this could be yeah. a conversation relevant to professional photography or just in general in our culture, there is this tendency for people to just kind of say, either suggest verbatim or allude to the notion that they are just kind of where they're at. You know, they're complaining about their job. They're complaining about this thing. They're complaining about that thing. The reality is they have the ability to make a choice to make change. We're lucky enough to live in an an economy and in a culture where there is freedom to do that and lots of opportunity to do that. And yet people just kind of stay stuck. And you're right. There are multiple potential reasons there. I just want, I was curious to get your take on that. You were an a or you were able, I guess, to see that, actually maybe reframe it. Tony Robbins talks about the significance of how pain drives change. Yeah. Uh, it, it, pleasure can, can, can encourage movement in a particular direction, but even more so, pain will drive movement. It'll drive change. And in this case, you experience enough pain in your particular situation that it drove change. You realize that you have mm-hmm. to make a shift in that way. And so... I'm curious on a very practical level, because our listeners are hearing this story and it's, it's quite compelling. What were kind of the big steps or more specifically, what are a few steps that you would recommend to our listeners who are they're maybe feeling similar to what you were feeling? And they're like, I'm ready to make change. I'm ready to get out of this chaos. I'm ready to make that step forward and, and even try to go full time. I don't quite know what to do next. Help us out a little bit if you don't mind, Ashley. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let me back up just a sec because... 
at this breaking point where I was feeling so lost and broken, that's actually the moment when the purpose gathering was born. Hmm. Um, was just like out of that frustration of the fact that I had so many friends that were business owners. Hmm. I had so many friends that were moms, but nobody did both. Like I didn't know one person who was a mom and, and running a business. And at that point, you know, a couple years ago, it wasn't so available right now. Now I feel like the mompreneur movement, the mom business owner movement, like I feel like it gained traction. Mm-hmm. But back when I started this, there was nothing. Okay. I couldn't find anything. Nobody understood. And so I was like, I really felt God tugging on my heart. And he was saying, like, if, if you can't find what you're looking for, then create it. And I was like, okay, what? What does that even mean? So fast forward to, you know, what we're talking about right here is the first thing that I did was prioritize my self-care. And it was really hard because I had never done that before. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, It had been so many years since, you know, pre-kids that I couldn't even remember what I liked to do. Mm. You know, I couldn't remember what quiet time felt like. And mm. I I started waking up before my kids. And it was one of the things that I feel like I always refused to do because I put this label on myself that said, I am not a morning person. And I can't tell you how many people I hear that say that to me. And I'm like, well, then if you want that quiet time to yourself, like you have to become that person that you say you could never be. Because on the other side of, you know, affliction and change is that freedom that a lot of people never feel like they can find because they're not willing to go through the hard times. So I started waking up early. Um, and even still to this day, I wake up at 5.15 every morning. I set very clear boundaries with my children that say, if you're awake before 7 o'clock, that's fine. But you cannot expect anything from me until 7 o'clock. And that might feel harsh. But I decided this is the time for me. This is when I get my quiet time done, my journaling, I can read my Bible, I can work out, I can surf the internet, like whatever I choose to do during that time, it's totally up to me, but nobody else is dictating it. And my Mm. kids know, like, it's a hard boundary. So you, everyone listening needs to establish that personal time to themselves, whether it's, you know, in the morning, in the evening, whatever, everybody needs a pocket of time that's theirs that they get to spend however they want. So that would be the first thing. And then I think I wrote down some notes, um, if I can find them. Yeah, Let's see. prepared. I like it. I know. I'm trying to remember what question we're on, though, because we've kind of well, jumped just, around a little bit. Oh, here yeah, it is. I want to talk specifically about the, the, the... I mean, you've already given a really great one here. I mean, the, the importance of establishing boundaries. And of course, that's going to look different for different photographers, different business owners. But specific yeah. steps, practical steps mm-hmm. that photographers feeling the sense of chaos that we're talking about need to take to begin the journey back to a sense of calm and productivity that of course will then free them to go ahead and make that move toward full-time to being the CEO that they really want to be. Right. Absolutely. So after they prioritize that self-care, I feel like it's so important to ditch the victim mentality, that mentality of being like, poor me, like, this is just where I am. This is just a hard season, which of course, you know, recognize the season you're in. And but don't let it hold you back. And don't stay in that season. And, you know, also using failure as fuel and knowing that just because you failed at something or you feel like you failed at something doesn't mean it's the end. Mm -hmm. I have found my biggest pivots 
after failure and I have changed and, and grown and there's always something bigger and better at the other side. You just have to go through that. And so embracing those sucky moments, I think is so important and reflecting and learning from them and being able to move forward. I also think it's so important that we stop comparing ourselves to everyone else. And that was a huge, you know, turning point for me was really focusing on, okay, who was I yesterday? Who was I six months ago? And celebrating those wins and celebrating that growth and not not focusing so much on the negative and the hard things and the, oh, I didn't hit my income goal this month or, oh, you know, that that client chose a different photographer, you know, getting stuck in those negative moments. It's really important to feel those feelings, but not staying stuck and just saying, okay, well, what can I do better? What can I do to improve who I once was? And I think that's so important if we want to be able to go from side hustle to stepping into a full-time CEO role. I think a lot of that is just mindset, quite Mm -hmm. honestly, you know, like, like if I'm if I'm being honest, and I think a lot of photographers feel this way too, is like if we don't hit a certain income goal, we feel less than. Or if we don't if we're not making six figures, then we must not be a good photographer. And and that's something I've really struggled with is that I've had to understand that I can be successful regardless of how much money I make. It's what does success look like to me, right? And I think that's what's important for all of the viewers and listeners is you have to define success for yourself and don't let anyone else define it for you or you're going to be constantly chasing the next best thing. You're going to constantly feel less than every single day of your life because you'll never be content where you are if you're not content or you'll never be content where you're going if you're not content with who you are and where you are right now. Okay, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm with my pen, old school, and a notebook, taking <laughs> notes as you're talking here. Um, we we talked about I think three ahead of time, but I actually have five written down here. So I'm just going to jet back through these here really quick. You yeah. talked first of all about the importance of establishing boundaries. Uh, yeah. Number two, and, and of course, again, that can look different for different people. In your case, five fifteen. By the way, kudos to you. Do you go to bed at like <laughs> nine o'clock? Hey, how do you get enough rest? Between nine and ten, yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> impressive. Very disciplined. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one, establish boundaries. Number two, that ditch that victim mentality. And man, I could, I'd love to do a million podcast episodes on this again, partially because I've been guilty of it, but I also see how it, it, and so I can relate, but I've also experienced what it's like to step out of that mindset. And, and then I see, I look around in our culture and I see again, that obsession, whether it's conscious or subconscious with this victim mentality and blaming everything and everyone else, rather than just taking ownership for and responsibility for one's life and making choices that enable you to move forward, even if a small step at a time, it's, it's so, I mean, it's such a cliche word, but I'm going to use it. It's empowering, right? When you, when you Mm -hmm. actually take that responsibility and realize you have the freedom to make those choices, it's, it's incredible. Anyway, I won't park there too long. Number three, uh, leveraging difficult circumstances for the sake of growth. That's how I summed it up. What you were describing. Does that, is that accurate enough? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. Because there is opportunity, again, as cliche as it might sound, there is opportunity in difficult circumstances to do some self-reflection and to see where we can improve or where we can grow personally, where we can learn from that and continue then to move forward with those lessons learned. I think that's super important. Number four, stop comparing. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, and the reason that we can and should stop comparing is number five, we have to establish our own success metrics. And I think that's really important. I mean, you mentioned not getting obsessed with a particular amount of income. There's nothing 
wrong with that. In fact, I would even encourage it for most photography business owners because it's going to be a, an important component of the business model that we're creating and then what we're doing day to day. But that's only one component of that metric, I would hope. And right. so establishing success metrics that reflect our personal goals and then building a business model that will support those goals and then just showing up consistently to meet those goals, I think would put us in a really good place. And we don't have to be so obsessed with the numbers if we're, if we're doing what it is that we are intentionally setting out to do, uh, assuming, of course, there is a market for whatever that service is. I, I think that's right. really important. So I, there's a bit of a balance there. I, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with the income piece of it, but that is mm -hmm. only one component of it. And we have to, right. as you said, we have to stop comparing it to other people because their goals aren't your goals. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think a lot of people too get get frustrated and get like stuck in hitting, like you said, someone else's goal, right? And like striving for that and then feeling really frustrated when you can't get there. Mm. And so I think that's like something that I've struggled with, especially a lot is just other people's goals and not, them not being mine. And I don't have ownership and feel like that's mine, you know? So I think that's really important. It is important. Yeah. It, it's, it, even just in a very simple level, I'm thinking about when we talk about income, for example, I'm lucky to make the income that I do, but I think about how really satisfied I'm, I am with the income that I make. The notion of comparing myself to somebody who is a, you know, a multimillionaire, for example, it is kind of weird because I can't imagine wanting more happiness than I feel in my current circumstance. But I can feel right. that happiness because I'm comfortable with what it is that I've established as my goals for life and where I want to be. And mm -hmm. I'm spending time growing as an individual so that the, the necessity to compare to somebody else and feel like I'm missing out because I'm not living their life. It just, it really isn't there. Um, yeah. Again, I think there's a balance between setting goals and, and working towards something that, that gives us some fuel motivation and, and getting bigger in some way, whether it's personally, professionally, you know, the, the monthly revenue or annual revenue that we're driving through our business. There's, again, there's so many different metrics. I think there's something to be said for setting some of those goals and some exciting ones at that. But right. the obsession with that is going to be de debilitating. We need to be here and present with our own set of goals and focus on that. And we're going to be so much happier for it. This is good practical advice. I asked for practical advice. You totally gave it, Ashley. This is really oh, good, good stuff. I'm glad. And it's really good reminders for, for all of our listeners, for myself as well. Um, I want to just bring it back just briefly to the purpose gathering. And I'm going to pull up your website here one more time. Uh, if I can, let me, if I can push the right button, right? There's so many buttons to push here. Here we go. Um, <laughs> Thepurposegathering.com. For everybody listening in, of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But just briefly let our listeners know how they can learn a little bit more about the brand and maybe some of the, the education offerings that you're offering or maybe even, are, are you doing any meetings coming up in person? I don't have any plans for meetings in person, but I would really like to start them again. Okay. Um, the Purpose Gathering actually started as an in-person meetup community, and that was always the goal to have in-person meetings. But then when COVID happened, that kind of put a damper on the plans. And so I kind of shifted into the more online business coaching space. But I do foresee in the future doing in-person meetups again. Okay, cool. And then you also have a podcast, right? I do. Yes. Let's and it's actually relaunching tomorrow. Oh, no way. So okay. I'm super excited. Yeah. And the Purpose so, Gathering podcast, correct? We have correct. it right here on yep. screen. Okay, cool. 
So formerly it was just for all mom business owners. And so I didn't really have a specific niche and it was just, you know, empowering and supporting and educating moms on all types of various topics, including, you know, self-care, motherhood, parenting, business ownership, all those things. And now starting tomorrow, the Purpose Gathering podcast will be specifically for mom photographers. Um, So although other people can glean information, that's really my niche and who I can serve specifically. Um, Since I have been a photographer for over 12 years and I have been a mom for 10 years, like I have, um, you know, a good foundation of how to do both and how to find that balance or that word's very elusive, but you know what I mean? How to (laughs) feel like you have a little bit of balance and that you can kind of manage life and Mm -hmm. not feel so stressed and overwhelmed all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So over at the purpose gathering, we have the podcast. Um, I have a group coaching program that, like step-by-step walks mamas through how to go from a side hustle to stepping into that CEO role in their business and not treating it like a hobby and really creating sustainable and profitable income from your business. I also offer one-on-one coaching and then of course, brand photography for anyone that's local to Arizona or who, you know, wants me to travel. I do love to travel too. Wow. All the offerings and, and we, are going, offerings. <laughs> we are going to link to them in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, the purpose gathering.com again is the website and the purpose gathering on Instagram as well. And you know, I, couple of things. First of all, Ashley, I really appreciate you making time to share with all of us today, truly. And again, I, I'm a huge fan of practical, actionable advice, especially principles, deep-rooted principles that we can build our life and our business around. And, and you brought that today. I also love that you have found a niche that you're focusing on serving. I think that's super important and a really great example that our listeners can take away from this conversation as well. So thank you on multiple levels. Thank you for sharing with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun, Nathan.